the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yeah, nothing a good solid cup of coffee won't uh, won't cure, right? Help to make it live, as live as you can make it. Good afternoon, welcome. It is a Thursday, and great to have you on board another edition of Lifeline. We are, of course, here before your shell-like ears every Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We'll hopefully try to do more of that tonight. Coming up a little bit later on, Todd Nettleton will join us. He is the host of the nationally syndicated Voice of the Martyrs radio program. June 29th, here in a few scant days, will mark the um, the time in Christian tradition that marks the martyrdom of the Apostle Paul. And we thought, what an important opportunity to remind all of us about the persecuted church. And my heavens, you look at some of the um, statistics of what's happening we may feel, we think, a little bit of heat here in America from time to time. Oh, pales in comparison to what's happening in many parts of the world. And when you begin to realize that um, that nearly one in ten Christians lives in a part of the world where Christianity is either either illegal, forbidden, or punished, um, kind of puts it into perspective for you. So we'll talk about that. Todd Nettleton joins us. Also, best-selling author Shelley Beach. In advance of post-traumatic stress disorder awareness month, we're coming into 4th of July. And for a lot of veterans, just the sound of the fireworks can be triggering. We'll talk about what exactly PSTD is and how to address it coming up later on in tonight's program. But first, I want to talk about the sideshow that's currently on the road in Miami. Uh, Ten new candidates preparing for the second night of the first Democratic debates. NBC's Jay Gray had the latest from Miami on what happened just yesterday. Four clear front runners in the group. Former Vice President Joe Biden, Senators Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris, and Mayor Pete Buttigieg, many considering tonight the main event. But for many Democrats, there is just one overriding question that needs to be answered here. Who is best suited to compete with the incumbent? But first, they've got to get through a very crowded field in their own party. And no doubt we saw some of that last night. We'll see more of it tonight. Biden campaign officials say they're ready for the vice president to expect some heat from the other candidates. Beyond the four marquee names in the debate, Bay Area's own Congressman Eric Solwell will participate. Additionally, celebrity Marianne Williamson, a new ager if I ever saw one, and businessman Andrew Yang will be on the picture for round two tonight. Let's talk a bit about what happened last night, what we can expect tonight. Joining me is Robert Bobby Charles. He is spokesman for the American Association of Mature Citizens, a wonderful conservative alternative to AARP. 
Bobby has served in the Reagan and Bush 41 White Houses and was Assistant Secretary of State under Colin Powell. He's taught also law at Harvard University Extension School and joins us now to comment. Bobby, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, First, your overall sense in watching the debate last night, and I suppose it will be sort of a a foreshadow of what we can expect this evening. Did the candidates, did those engaging in the questions, really touch upon the hot and key issues that are concerning most Americans and certainly those that are either retirees or heading towards retirement? Did they really hit the hot-button issues last night? Well, I'll say that if they did, they they hit them in the wrong direction. Uh, I will tell you, you know, the nutshell version for me, and it's my uh, honor to work with AMAC, which is, uh, as you just described it, is the alternative to uh, AARP. It's a a conservative group of about, I think, 2 million people now, and they work a lot on the substance of things. They're really dedicated to a lot of, uh, as you know, those over 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 are often uh, former veterans. They uh, they have a lot of concern about the border. They they actually tend to believe in the country not only as it was in the past, but as it'll be in the future. And uh, therefore, they believe in things like fiscal responsibility and moral compass. And so, you know, a lot of what this group does, and I, I reflected back on these debates, you know, uh, it, it, I, I'm going to step back two paces and say, I love the uh, the work that you do on this radio station. And I'll add, that one of the things I think people need to do is they need to trust their faith, they need to trust their instincts, the principles they've grown up with. And what you saw on that stage last night, what you'll see again tonight, is a an appeal to abandon uh, what we actually all know as Americans has worked and will work. You know, I tell my kids, uh, uh, who are getting older now, but uh, when they were growing up, uh, America is no mistake, it's no accident. It's the process of enormous sacrifice, uh, a combination of belief and sacrifice and taking risks, and when you fail, getting up again and carrying on. And and so it is the combination of millions of decisions made by millions of people that put us where we are today. The three big issues that the Democrats have, uh, or I'll say four big issues they've focused on, are Medicare for all, uh, the idea that we're going to have open borders and be compassionate and just invite the world into our living room, uh, which they believe is compassion, I tend to think is actually immoral. Uh, the New Green Deal, which is just, uh, you know, another $30 trillion for anything that you can think of the government can control. And finally, student loan forgiveness and free education for everyone. And, you know, what it boiled down to me last night, as I saw it, I kept thinking to myself, mandating bad government care for everybody paid by nobody is very similar to things I saw in my earlier life behind the Iron Curtain. The Soviet system and a lot of socialist-slash-communist systems have offered everything for nothing, and uh, there is no free lunch. Uh, you, you know, the irony on Medicare for all is that people think this is somehow, you know, a panacea. It, it is not a panacea. It is it is actually not real. It's $32 trillion of debt that will come from somewhere, and ultimately, if you go back and read these two bills, and I've spent a lot of time reading them because AMAC actually is against this idea of Medicare for all, it's stunning what's in these bills. I mean, I encourage people to read them, although they probably won't have time, but they are, they're the ultimate leftist program. They, they literally, I'll read you from the outset of the bill, uh, which is Bernie Sanders' bill, it's the same, same bill in the House, uh, incidentally supported by Gillibrand and Harris and Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker and the whole nine yards, quote, it shall be unlawful for a private health insurer to sell insurance coverage. And then it goes down further. 
or, or an employer to provide benefits for an employee, etc. So what does that mean? It means 181 million Americans who currently have private health care plans are instantly kicked off. They lose their doctors, their offices, their hospitals, their nurses, their in-home care. And what will, what will replace it? Well, it's stunning. You read the, the language. It's very general. It says there will be one government agency, and it will adjudicate all claims. And it will include things like, quote-unquote, comprehensive reproductive care, which is essentially free abortions, for anybody who wants it, no, no limits in the law, terms like community services, open-ended. Incidentally, the three big issues most seniors care about are pre-existing conditions, catastrophic health care, and prescription drug prices. Well, and this is really that 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 struck me as a, a tremendous disconnect here. I mean, beyond the fact that what you've just described in Medicare for all and by outlawing the the private health care uh, uh, aspect of it, essentially says that you know, no, we don't want private industry to carry their fair share or to provide this as a benefit to their employees. We want to shift a hundred percent of that burden on the taxpayer because heaven knows we've got so much extra cash running around in Washington, D.C., it shouldn't be a problem, right? The other thing that really that, that really stood out to me, and, and maybe you can shed some light on this, Bobby, and that is the complete utter disconnect with a very key group of voters. There is in a population in America right now of approximately 320 million people, and of that, 80 million, fully one quarter, fit in the baby boomer category. And there's 10,000 of us born between 1946 and 1964, 10,000 of us every day that reach retirement age that are concerned about things such as securing the future of Social Security, making sure that Medicare is going to be there and reliant and, and dependable. And it seemed to me, in listening to the dialogue for two hours last night, that this group of people, this key voting block, 80 million strong, was completely left out of the equation last night by Democrats. Am I wrong? Did I, did I miss something, or am I correct in saying that? You're, you're dead on. That's exactly right. And I think a lot of Americans in that baby boomer block, and I'm in, I'm in that block, care deeply about the concept of accountability, the concept of quality, the concept of, uh, of, of keeping fiscal responsibility into the future. And we're not in that position right now. We've, we've spent ourselves blind. Uh, we're not, and, and, and you know, I, I hesitate to integrate moral uh, judgment into this, but I think it really belongs here in that when you hand a debt of that kind on to the next generation, you're really disserving them because you used up wealth in your life that, uh, that frankly belonged to those, those kids that haven't even yet been born. I'll also note that there are a range of other issues on which, uh, older Americans really care, and, and they were, and what you saw on the stage last night, probably again tonight, is the exact opposite position. Uh, interestingly, uh, for what it's worth, nine out of ten of the baby boomer generation affiliate themselves with some religion, uh, and it's interesting because there was almost no talk of that. There's been a runaway uh, push in some states toward this late-term abortion. I, I, I'm, I'm stunned that there aren't more people reacting. And then get to the immigration issue, because that's really front and center. It ranks among the top two or three for older Americans, because many of them truly believe in the sanctity of citizenship. They, a lot of them went to war to defend uh, the security of this country. And what you see today is that the top ten, ten cities in the United States for homelessness are, are all sanctuary cities that, you know, I mean, right in your neck of the woods. I mean, Los Angeles has 50, 55,000 homeless. 
San Jose, 7,000. San Francisco, 6,000. San Diego, 9,000. And, and go a little further north, where I clerked for a federal judge, you got 12,000 homeless now in Seattle. These are brand new numbers. These are numbers that we have never seen before. And why? Because in March, you had 103,000 uh, 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 illegal aliens crossing the border. In April, 109. In May, 144,000. We can't process them. We, we were, you know, frankly, the Congress until today was withholding money for uh, processing them. We're in a position where border actually does matter. Doesn't mean doesn't mean that we shouldn't be um, thoughtful and and process asylum claims uh, compassionately. It just means that we have to protect the integrity of this country, which means at the border. And it's not a, you know, this is not a, a, an issue that really should be controversial at all. And in fact, most of the older Democrats, including a couple you're going to see on the stage tonight, uh, had the exact opposite position about 10 years ago. Yeah, it's amazing to see that that major paradigm shift, and and you know I I want to underscore your observation. We do need to approach this with compassion. We do need to understand that many people are fleeing horrific circumstances and situations. Uh, but there also needs to be some sort of a reasoned approach to all of this, and 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 sadly that seems to be eluding us. And 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 meanwhile, the one part of the equation that we're really not giving much thought to, and that is, how is this country? on the verge of $21, 22000000000000 trillion of indebtedness, going to be able to address all of these issues while simultaneously, whether we're talking about tax cuts or how about this one, you know, free Medicare for everybody. How about forgiveness of student debt? I mean, this sounds like wonderful concepts, but at the end of the day, the one thing that nobody seems to be taking into consideration and that is where is the money coming from? And I tell you where the big group ought to be very concerned about the future risk, and that is retirees. Because if they don't think they're going to be taking a hard, long look at all that money coming in under Social Security, you got another thing coming. Bobby, we're out of time. I appreciate the insights. Love to get you back again, talk a little bit more, particularly your experience um, working in the um, Secretary of State uh, office where you were Assistant Secretary under Colin Powell. Lots we could talk about, no doubt. There's Robert Bobby Charles, spokesman with the American Association of Mature Citizens. We jump off the call to jump over to the KFAX Traffic Center to get you updated right now on the Thursday Ride Home. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, you probably know that we are here just a week away from 4th of July. And it's always fun with family get-togethers and picnics and enjoying the fireworks and and certainly um, marking the celebration of the anniversary of American independence. Uh, But there are certain folks for whom this is not a real fun time of the year. Um, I can tell you for many years it was batting down the hatches time for me. Uh, because I had an old English sheepdog that was just terrified of all the firework sounds. And so you'd have to keep them indoors and all the windows locked real tight. So you uh, try to eliminate the noise as much as possible, put the TV on a little bit louder, and try to kind of mask all of that because the reaction was not a good one. Well, it's not just animals that get disturbed about the loud noises. In fact, a lot of people that suffer from one form or another of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder can find the loud noises triggering. Now, you might think, well, Craig, 
you know, this is probably of the group of folks that are military veterans, and so the loud noises are associated with the sounds of war, and I can see that. But you know what? You'd be surprised, perhaps, to find out that a lot of people, that just the sudden boom can set them off. And to talk a bit about how to mitigate all this, we're joined by best-selling author Shelley Beach. Shelley is the co-founder of PTSDperspectives.org, providing consultation services on post-traumatic stress disorder in medical, mental health, educational, criminal justice, professional, and faith-based settings across the nation. And as always, Shelley, it's a delight and an honor to have you join us. Well, thank you so much, Craig. I appreciate the opportunity. Boy, you know, we think about this topic, and I, and I, I remember those days where, uh-oh, 4th of July is coming, got to stay home, got to, you know, try to try to comfort my old English sheepdog as much as possible because 4th of July uh, was never any fun for him. But when you begin to think about it, that that's a long list, isn't it? It's not just animals that are bothered by many of these loud noises that will go on way into the wee hours of the night, but but a lot of folks that are, that are triggered by all of this absolutely and actually that that issue hits very close to home for me um you know one of the one of the situations that surrounds my ptsd was that um a gun was held to my head and um i was threatened my life was threatened and i was waiting for you know the the trigger to be pulled and so unexpected um, loud sounds are very triggering to me. In fact, just the sound of my cell phone going off or someone else's cell phone going off, that unexpected unpredictability of a, of a noise can trigger many, many people. And it's, it's certainly an issue for uh, veterans who've been in war situations, but for others who've um, experienced other kinds of traumas as well, it can truly it can truly be triggering, yes. I mean, it's it's startling, and, and, and let me be clear in saying that it's not just fireworks sometimes. I mean, I've even experienced this in my own life, when you're, you're kind of in a tranquil moment, you may be far off in your thoughts or something, and there is some kind of a loud noise. It might be the television set. Uh, it could be the neighbor banging around the trash cans next door, whatever it might be, but loud enough and disturbing enough that there is a, a reaction that happens that can suddenly trigger uh, a sense of unsettledness. And, of course, that can go pretty deep in terms of, of how people from a, from a PTSD standpoint might, might respond to it. In other words, it could be one that's not just a, 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 a sudden, you know, well, I was startled, but trigger things that create a change in mood, increased sense of anxiousness. They may get... Um, uh, fearful in that moment. This this can really be a severe triggering moment, can't it? It truly can be, and because it's it's a trigger it, it, and it's a, a trauma trigger that that is a can takes us back in time. It it flashes us back to that moment when we were threatened. That moment when our, we felt our life was endangered, or or someone uh, near and dear to us, or in proximity to us, was was in danger, um, we can become very angry. We can become reactive. We'll get a rush of adrenaline. All of these things are out of our control, and um, you know those things. Um, you know, a lot of people can feel very kind of 
um, embarrassed about the possibility they can have those kinds of uh, responses. You know, if you know you're going to go to a drama around the 4th of July or uh, an activity where somebody might set off cannons or guns or there might be gunfire, it's, it's helpful if you can prepare, if you know that those things are coming. But when you don't know that your upstairs neighbor is going to slam a door or, um, you know, those responses can be really debilitating they can be <clears throat> and unfortunately sometimes it's, it's difficult to avoid them especially when you know as we're speaking specifically to the fourth of july you're, you're kind of surrounded by all of this you know it's one thing to say well i know that the city of san francisco will set off fireworks so i'm going to go head to a community where that doesn't happen but then you know it's it's not unlikely these days for illegal fireworks to be sold and the kids in the neighborhood are playing with these things I'm already beginning to hear them leading into it of people that have bought fireworks early or bought illegal fireworks. And at midnight, the kids decide to set, set these things off. And sometimes it's close enough, it makes the whole house shake. How can we offer advice to people that, that are in that sensitive arena? They've had some traumatic experiences, and this becomes a trigger. What advice can you offer them, Shelley? Well, as as much as was as as is within our ability to to prepare, um, you know, if if we can have blackout curtains, if we can have um, some kind of headphones or headsets that can screen out sound, or um, at, at least give us an alternative that will you know distract us, um, to have those things available is very helpful or to have you know family members who are around us who know how to ground us using grounding techniques that bring us back to the here and now and understanding that um, trauma triggers are can be come from any direction they can be a sight a sound a smell um, somebody's appearance um, and to know that if there are ways that they can use um, vision touch sight um, any of the senses to draw us back to the here and now and assure us that we're safe, we're sound, you know, we're, we're not being threatened. Uh, those things are very helpful. So doing things that are as proactive as possible and then uh, knowing knowing ourselves that we can ground ourselves using some of these techniques ourselves. So it, it kind of runs the gambit then from mitigate, as you suggested, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, turning up the TV a little bit louder, making sure the windows and doors are all closed, uh, curtains if need be. So mitigate, redirect as necessary, comfort when necessary. And, and I think a lot of times just for, for friends and family members that go through this, just to be there, to be present for them can be important too, can't it? Absolutely, to be present and to understand as much as they possibly can about PTSD, how it works, and ways that they can provide support for their loved one, and um, and, and and to ask them, you know, what does support look like to you, and um, to understand grounding techniques and the ways that um, they can bring people back to the here and now, keep them from, you know, being... Um, too, too, too fearful and bringing them back from that. Um, sometimes it takes a friend, a uh, loved one, to help us do that. And this is a very real issue, and I, and I don't want to, uh, by any means, leave people with the notion that, well, this is no big deal, you know, a big loud sound, this could be a car backfiring, what's the big deal? Uh, for people that have suffered traumatic 
experiences, and there is a connection between that, even if it's something that's not a direct connection like some clear-cut things like a veteran who was in a war theater and who heard cannon fire and guns going off all the time, and so then the replication of those noises related to fireworks, it becomes a triggering point. No, it can even be somebody who, just in terms of the sudden breaking of the calmness, the tranquility of the evening, can be very disquieting. I mean, I mean, think, for example, you're at home on a summer night. Doesn't happen often in the Bay Area, but you could be home on a summer night, and gently some rainfall begins, and it's kind of a tranquil thing, and then, boom, a loud clap of thunder breaks through, and ooh, everybody suddenly... Uh, with an earshot is 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 on guard and 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 set off so to speak uh, that kind of experience can can tie into some very difficult memories for people that are struggling with post traumatic stress disorder so being there helping to mitigate redirect comfort help ground as Shelley mentions are critically important steps to helping people or yourself deal with PTSD. Want more information? A couple of places we'll point you to. You can go to ptsdperspectives.org for details and more information. That's ptsdperspectives.org. There is also a national helpline available at 800-662-HELP. That's simply 800-662-HELP. And our thanks to best-selling author Shelley Beach for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. All right, let's step aside, get you some updates on traffic right quick. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Centers. We say good afternoon and find out what's going on. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation 536. The statistics are very disturbing. And it is perhaps a, a important wake-up call, as it ought to be, for the church in the West. You're not going to like it when I say this, but the truth of the matter is, for most of the church in the West, we've got it so good. We've got it so good. Here's an example of some of the kind of persecution that fellow believers are facing this very day. Earlier this year, uh, the Christians in central Sulawesi around the town of uh, Poso and the villages outside of Poso were more or less attacked by Muslim gangs who came in with uh, guns and machetes, uh, even um, uh, bulldozers to push over the houses. Uh, they burned the houses, burned the churches, burned the whole villages, and people escaped into the forest with only the clothes on their back. Uh, they weren't able to bring along food. They weren't able to bring along even their own Bibles. 9,000 of them. 9,000 of them escaped into the forest, and now they have uh, gathered into refugee camps. Um, in God's uh, uh, grace, uh, Christians from different denominations have all come together and found unity but uh, you've been able to bring them uh, Bibles and blankets, um, uh, food, some books for the children, and some of the other things that they need. So 9,000 people uh, currently in the refugee camps around Posal. And can you imagine now, that's, that's taking place along the Thai-Burma border, but can, can you imagine being at church this Sunday and people come through the doors, guns blazing, 
prepared to burn the church down, chase you out of town. The truth of the matter is that 11 Christians are killed for their faith every day. And right now as we speak, one in nine believers live in places, live in countries where Christianity is either illegal, forbidden, or punished. June 29th marks on the Christian calendar the martyrdom of Apostle Paul. And what a wonderful, important time to stop as the church in the West and think of the kind of persecution that our fellow believers in Christ face every single day. Joining me with some insights is the host of the Voice of the Martyrs radio program, Todd Nettleton. And Todd, great to have you with us. Thank you. It's good to be with you. You know, I think we kind of, uh, as Christians, particularly in the Western world, kind of, uh, and I don't mean this flippantly, but we kind of go la-di-da through our life. Uh, We attend church without fear of reprisal. We can go to a Christian bookstore. We can listen to a Christian radio station. And I'd have to worry about the knock on the door of the secret police at 3 o'clock in the morning, not have to worry about losing our job, being kicked out of our homes, attending church and having gunmen open up fire or burn the building down simply because we are believers exercising our faith. These kinds of stories are very foreign to many believers in the West, and yet it is the harsh reality of what the church faces in many parts of the world today. Uh, It is. In more than 70 countries, Christians are facing persecution from uh, what we might call oppression or harassment. Uh, I think of a church last year in China that was told by the government, hey, uh, you you can keep on meeting, it's no problem, we're just going to put a camera on the the platform facing the audience. We want to track who's coming to your church and how fervent they are in their worship. And, of course, the pastor said, well, no, we're not going to do that. They said, okay, well, your church is closed then. Well, you, you can't meet anymore. So that's the, the pressure that Christians are facing in China. But there are also places where Christians are laying down their lives. And that's really what Saturday, the Day of the Christian Martyr, is about, is honoring Christians from the Apostle Paul throughout history who have laid down their lives for the cause of Christ and hopefully inspiring us as American Christians to really think about what, what would I sacrifice? If it came time where, like churches in China, people who go to churches in China are told, hey, do you want to keep having a job, or do you want to keep going to that unregistered religious gathering? What would we do? What Would we be willing to give up our jobs in that situation? Those are things we want Christians to ask as we remember the martyrs on the day of the Christian martyr. And, you know, I think, Todd, it's not only critical in terms of raising awareness so that we as believers can can ponder our own fate um, and the wonderful blessings that we have, but also I think that it is critically important, even as we think about those um, uh, great people of the faith that have gone before us who have literally given of their lives for the sake of the gospel, but then to not stop there, but to then be mindful of what many of our fellow believers in Christ face every day and to be not only before the throne of grace praying for them every day and praying for their strength, but doing as best we can to give voice, so to speak, on their behalf. And I know certainly uh, Voice of the Martyrs does 
just that. And, and perhaps uh, longtime listeners to this program will remember our conversations years ago with the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, uh, Richard Warmbrand, who had been persecuted, and pretty severely so, um, by the regime of Nicolae Ceausescu in Romania. I believe, Todd, that he ultimately spent about 14 years in Romanian prisons, and we have to underscore, it's not like a prison here in the United States. I mean, it, it's it's barely a step above, above a, a gulag, and, and he was persecuted for his faith, not only because he turned his back on communism, he had actually been a, an early supporter of communism, but abandoned those beliefs when he came to Christ in the 1930s. But uh, he was persecuted because he was not only abandoning communism, feeling it incompatible with Christianity, but also because he was a Messianic Jew. He, he was a Jew, he was a Christian in a communist nation, and, and you're right, it was 14 years in prison three of those years in solitary confinement, in an underground prison cell. And uh, one of the things, if if some of our listeners may have seen Pastor Wormbrand speak, he often spoke sitting down uh, and oftentimes took off his shoes. And, you know, some people, you go to church, you see the speaker, he's sitting down, he's not wearing shoes, you're like, what's going on? Pastor Wormbrand, one of the tortures that they used against him was they beat the bottoms of his feet, uh, and he... He bore the scars of that. His feet gave him trouble for the rest of his life because of that torture. The amazing thing about his story, and we see this in persecuted Christians today as well, is the ability that God gave him to forgive his torturers, to love his persecutors. That's the message that Richard Wormbrand brought out of 14 years in prison, is God is so powerful and so amazing that he can help us to love the people who are beating us and that's, that's the message of our persecuted brothers and sisters. And, and certainly that's upheld by Scripture, isn't it, when we're told that we should pray for those who persecute us? It, it is. And, you know, sometimes we read that and we sort of blow by it without really thinking about it. And, and I, don't, I don't believe that Jesus asks us to do things that are impossible, that, that we cannot do. And so it must be possible. And, and Richard's life and his example and like I say, the example of so many others, we're going to be adding the names of the Gronwald family on, on Saturday to the Martyrs Memorial, which is a big black granite wall with the names of martyrs. The Gronwald family went to Afghanistan after 9-11 in spite of the fact that members of their own family said, no, 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 this is not God's voice because God would never ask you to take your children to Afghanistan. But they said, no, God is calling us. They went. They served for 10 years, and Werner, the, the father and the husband, was killed, along with their two teenage children, Hannah Lee Gronwald. The mom was not killed. She was not home when the Taliban attacked their home. Uh, and so they also lived that out. And Hannah Lee would say today, I love Afghanistan. I love the Afghan people, even though her whole family was sacrificed there. It's an interesting story. We recently had, uh, within the last three, four months, had the opportunity to interview an Indian pastor. And I'm not going to give too many details because with the Internet, I wouldn't want anybody to be able to identify him. But we'll we'll call him Samuel for the moment, not his real name. Um, a, a pastor in a certain state of India for many years, um, his wife was the victim of a brutal acid attack simply because he was a pastor, she was an evangelist, and um, somebody 
one day as she was walking down the street came by and and there had been a, a failed first attempt at this so they knew to a certainty this wasn't random this was a very specific attack uh, and somebody came along on a motorcycle and threw acid on her face she spent umpteen months in the hospital eventually succumbed to her injuries and knowing how dangerous it was he was given the opportunity to essentially come to the west and find asylum because they believed that his life was equally in danger and given what had happened to his wife it made perfect sense for him to leave india and to seek asylum he weighed the consequences of staying and risking his own life or fleeing and sparing his life and not following his wife in martyrdom. But ironically, he said, no, I must stay. The need here is too great. There are too many that have not heard of the good news of the gospel. And for far better for me to die for Christ than to live as a coward. And so he has stayed and continues to minister to the very community in the very neighborhood that ultimately took his wife's life. And wow, um, what, what a, what a wake-up call for we as the church in the West to look at that and say, um, not only but for the grace of God, there go I, but I think, Todd, to really be mindful of how important it is that we as the church in the free world need to stand with and pray for the church in the persecuted world every single day. Every day. I'm reminded as you as you share that story, the verse in Revelation that says they loved not their lives unto death. They they loved Jesus and his kingdom more than they loved their own personal comfort and safety, more than they even loved being alive. They were willing to risk death. And I, I just honor that pastor for his sacrifice and uh, you know, so many others around the world. We Voice of the Martyr serves people like that every single day who are choosing danger. They're choosing risk because God has called them there. And they have a, a lot, I think, to teach us as American believers, a lot to inspire us with about what it means to serve Christ and, and what are we willing to sacrifice to see the kingdom advance. And I think there also needs to be a very practical side to this, to not only be mindful of what they go through, but to be prayerful for them and to be committed to that kind of prayer and to be supportive in every way that we can. Now, sometimes support means standing behind a missionary that is bold enough to go into some of these restricted areas. Uh, Todd, you just mentioned Afghanistan. It's high on the list of some of the most dangerous countries for Christians today, including not just Afghanistan, but many parts of the Middle East that would include Iran, Iraq, Libya, um, in, in northern African continent, um, certainly North Korea that we've talked about a lot on this program, where, where not only people every day risk their life to be Christians, but missionaries do the same. And to support them in the practical sense, whether that means sending Bibles, um, doing everything we can to give them voice for those who have no voice. With me today is Todd Nettleton. Todd is the host of the Voice of the Martyrs radio program, and uh, no doubt many of you, if not familiar directly with the work of Richard Warmbrand, the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, may be his best-selling book called Tortured for Christ, um, which describes his experiences in Romanian prisons. He was eventually, by the way, um, released 
after a total of 14 years in prison in Romania and was able to come to the West. That was only after, by the way, he was ransomed for more than $10,000 to essentially buy his escape from communist Romania. And it's an amazing story and, uh, and one that I think ought to quicken to the hearts of all of us to, uh, to be mindful of just how fortunate we are here in the West and how much we need to be praying for those in persecuted countries all across the world. Let's take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs Radio as Lifeline continues. Let's get you updated quick on traffic here. 551 as we step back over to the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back with Todd Nettleton. He, of course, is the host of the Voice of the Martyrs radio program, nationally syndicated. And you can get more information uh, online about Voice of the Martyrs at persecution.com. As we mentioned, June the 29th marks the calendar uh, date when recognition of the martyrdom of Apostle Paul takes place. And we certainly here on the program talk about the persecuted church with great frequency, and I think justifiably so, because we really need to be supporting our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it's it's a eye-opener when you realize that one in nine Christians on the planet today live in a country where Christianity is either outright illegal, like in North Korea, for example, or forbidden, as it is in places like Iran, or just punished for your faith. I mean, it it doesn't have to be a country that outright says uh, we have a law against it, but simply hostile toward Christianity is in places such as Vietnam and in communist China. And then when you realize the number of people who die, the best statistics we're able to find demonstrates that about 11 Christians globally lose their life or their faith every single day. I mean, it almost reads like many of the experiences, Todd Nettleton, of the first century church. It really does. And yet so many of us, we don't think about it, we don't know about it, there's an awful lot of American Christians that feel like, you know, persecution. I read about that in the book of Acts, and I got to the last chapter of Acts, and that must have been the end of persecution, right? No, it's not, and I'm glad you've been able to bring that out of how many Christians today deal with persecution as a reality every single day. Tell us a little bit, for folks that are not familiar with Richard Warmbrand, and most specifically uh, Voice of the Martyrs, a little bit of the history of the ministry. It's been around since, uh, well, essentially since he was able to come to the West um, in the late 1960s, and I, I think about the same time as, as his book, Tortured for Christ, came out. Yeah, the, the book came out a little bit before. The ministry was founded in the fall of 1967, uh, and so we just celebrated our 50th anniversary, and the ministry from the very beginning has been uh, involved in really what I would call kind of three facets of international ministry. One is persecution response, helping directly Christians who have been persecuted, you know, helping the wife of the imprisoned pastor pay the rent so she can keep her house, helping her so that her kids can keep going to school. So persecution response, the second area is Bibles. You mentioned this earlier. The, the first request of, of persecuted Christians is pray for us, 
The second request is, could you send more Bibles? And so Bibles is a key part of the Voice of Mars work from the very beginning. Richard was involved in smuggling Bibles in behind the Iron Curtain. We're still doing that today. Sometimes that is actual physical Bibles. Sometimes it's a memory chip that has a Bible on it. Uh, in a country like Somalia, if you're carrying a paper Bible, you probably will not survive the day, uh, but everyone's carrying a phone. Uh, and so having a memory chip with the Bible on it is a way to disguise the Bible. So persecution response and Bibles, the, the third area is what we call frontline workers, and it's basically encouraging and equipping the people who are spreading the gospel in those countries where Christians are persecuted for their faith. Critically important, and let me underscore the fact, and, and as I've shared with my listeners here in San Francisco, we've had the opportunity to travel to many parts of the world where Christianity um, is um, actively, if, if not uh, persecuted, uh, at the very least uh, harassed significantly so. Um, and the one story that we've heard consistently throughout the persecuted portions of the world um, is the tremendous need for Christians to have Bibles. And they're, imagine, I mean, just think of your own life and the times and the moments when Scripture brought comfort to you and you turn to the Scripture uh, to find direction and help uh, and, and to read all of the wonderful passages written by uh, David in the book of Psalms, for example, that, that really spoke to your heart. Now imagine being in a place where you're being persecuted for your faith, severely harassed, potential losing your job, kicked out of your home, especially so in communist countries, um, not being able to go to church for fear that they may burn the church down because they threatened to do so, as we heard in that clip um, at the start of our conversation with Todd Nettleton, and now not having any access to Scripture um, to, to use to put on that shield, to be able to immerse yourself in the Word to find a very help in the time of trouble. Um, a lot of Christians have to go through life believing in Jesus but not having access to the Word. And so this is, uh, this is very important, and we want to encourage you uh, to stand with the persecuted church, not only prayerfully but practically as well. And, Todd, I'm curious, for listeners that are maybe not um, all that familiar, they've never read perhaps uh, Dr. Wormbrand's book, or just want to find out more about the work and ministry of Voice of the Martyrs, where can you point them? Persecution.com is the main Voice of the Martyrs website, persecution.com. And actually, that book, Tortured for Christ, that you mentioned, we will send people a free copy of that. If, if somebody's listening and they want to read Tortured for Christ, they can go to persecution.com or they can just call our office and we will send you a copy of that. It is a powerful book, a powerful example, and it, it will challenge your faith as you read. It will. It's an eye-opener. It's an interesting slice of history as well. Um, you know, we, we, we think of the fall of the Iron Curtain and the end of communism um, in, in Europe and certainly in, uh, in Russia. Uh, here's what you need to know. The fall of that curtain began in Romania. Isn't it interesting to see for the time that Richard Warmbrand was persecuted for his faith in communist Romania under the Ceausescu regime that the actual beginning, the first domino to fall, I think it was in December of 89, but don't, don't hold me to it, the first domino to fall, the first nation where the, the oppressive walls of 
communism collapse was in Romania. So to learn some of the history of what went on there, I think uh, it, it will be a, an eye-opener for you. The book is certainly a page-turner. Again, the book is called Tortured for Christ. And uh, Todd, very gracious, thank you for making that offer to our listeners here. If you want to get a copy of the book for free, you can go to persecution.com. That's persecution. Dot com, the Voice of the Martyrs, and I would encourage you, make a note on your calendar or in your BlackBerry or Google uh, calendar to remind you to be in prayer on June the 29th, marking the martyrdom of the Apostle Paul, and to be in prayer for the persecuted church around the globe. Find out more online, persecution.com, persecution.com. And I'd like to thank Todd Nettleton, host of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Six o'clock from KFAX here in San Francisco. Let's get you updated on some headline news. First, though, we'll get you a look at traffic on your Thursday ride home. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 